Hello there, everybody. Well, here we go with our next Revelation Bible study podcast for leaders. Little thing I want to add over this series of Revelation, and that is to begin each growth group with a Revelation interrogation. And what I'm going to do is send you 10 questions with easy-ish answers that just look at the passages that we looked at last Sunday so that people can, you know, just have a bit of fun, get into it. They should be able to get all the answers, or at least someone in the group should know the answers. And so I will send that to you separately to the Bible studies. So the Bible studies will go to everybody, and you'll have some for your group, of course. But the Revelation interrogation questions will just go to you and they'll have the answers there so you can know, you can look like you know what you're talking about. (laughs) This is fun. Well, here we go. A bit of an overview and some preliminary things before we look at this passage. We're looking at chapters 6, 7 and the very first verse of chapter 8 and it's about the seals. That is the seals of the scroll. Uh, Now, the seals of the scroll do not seem to be the contents of the scroll. Uh, The seals are that which need to be broken so that the contents of the scroll can be opened and enacted. So each seal seems to picture a situation in the world that the scroll will speak into. So we might say that the seals are not the content of the scroll, but they are the context of the scroll. Chapters 6 to 8, verse 2, describe the situation it was in the world back then, in the reader's day, and every day since then. Uh, A world of evil dictators, civil unrest, economic inequality, disease and disaster, the persecution and opposition to the people of God. But prominently in this passage, the sealing and security of the people of God in the midst of that chaos. So I think we do need to wrestle with what the scroll from chapter 5 represents. And I'd like to suggest that I believe the scroll represents all the promises that shaped and gave Israel as a nation and Israelites as individuals their hope and identity. God had made promises to Israel for 2,000 years and they waited for God to fulfill those promises that whole time, promises of salvation, justice, freedom, redemption. So to not be able to have the scroll opened is the equivalent of none of God's promises being fulfilled, which would mean no wrongs would be righted and no rights would be recognised. This is why I think John weeps as he does. So to question one. Read chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. What do you think each horse stands for? Can you give an example of their work in history today? The white horse stands for autocracy and dictators. Uh, Those are people like Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Benito Mussolini, Saddam Hussein, uh, Gaddafi, Kim Jong-il, Idi Amin, Mao Zedong, uh, Fidel Castro, Pol Pot, uh, Augusto Pinochet, Kim Jong-un, Korea, North Korea today, a whole bunch of them that have been constantly throughout all of history and those are just the ones from our last century or so. That's the white horse. The red horse means civil unrest and you've got to realise that there are about 187 conflicts going on today, tremendous civil unrest, some we know about, some we'll never hear about. The black horse stands for economic disparity or inequality, and uh, we can recognise that there are countries 
where the gap between the rich and the poor is massive. And that would be true in Australia, but it's more true in places like USA, Brazil, South Africa, India, China, Russia, and Mexico. There is a, there is a massive gap between the richest people and the poorest people. And that's what the black horse is about. The pale horse is war and disease, famines, etc. And I think it's important for us to recognise that even today there's a, about 123 countries and territories which are in emergency state uh, of famine. Uh, countries like Afghanistan, uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Ethiopia, Haiti, Myanmar, Nigeria, Somalia, South Sudan, Gaza, Sudan itself, Syria, Ukraine, Yemen, there's a bunch of them. Next question, who gives the horsemen their power and purpose? So what you need to note here is that the, the horsemen don't take things into their own hands. They are given power and authority to do what they do. So this is a difficult one to answer because the difficult thing to accept is that their authority does not come from Satan or evil, but from heaven. There is some sense that heaven gives these these horses come from heaven and the havoc and that they wreak and the the that havoc as i said that uh, that they put across the world is actually an outcome of the gift of heaven so we need to wrestle with that one a bit that's why the next question is here why do you think heaven would give this power what seems to be the ultimate goal of allowing the horsemen to afflict inflict such damage well as i said earlier the seals picture the situation the scroll will begin to speak into so chapters six to eight describe the situation as it was in the world back then in the reader's day and every day since then as i said before a world of evil dictators civil unrest economic inequality disease and disaster opposition as well to the people of god but i think here the point is we, we cannot sin against God and not feel the consequences of sin on ourselves and those around us. If we were to not experience some partial effects of sin on ourselves and around us, uh, we may continue in that. But where there is pain, where pain is caused, then we begin to think twice about these things and it may make us lift our eyes to God. So often it's said when you, it isn't till you hit rock bottom that you look up uh, these judgments are not only the inevitable implications of sin but they're also therefore mercies so not allowing us to go our own way to the point of uh, hell but realizing the pain of our sinfulness and the possibility of a turning to the lord jesus in all of this the next question read Chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. Who are these people? Where are they? What do they cry? How is their cry echoed in believers today? Well, who are they? Well, they're the slain testifying souls. That is, they're the ones who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They're Christian martyrs, uh, but there are those who have remained faithful right to the end. Their, their perseverance is testimony to their faith. Uh, where are they? They're under the altar, which strongly suggests their death is like their Lord's. That is, it was a sacrifice. 
but it's also that they're kept secure. And note that although they can be considered as being in heaven, so to speak, they're not happy there, and they are looking forward to the day of resurrection. What is it that they cry? Well, the history of the people of Israel is a history of crying out how long. So in Exodus chapter 2, during that long period, the king of Egypt died, it says, uh, verse 23, the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. Psalm 102 says a prayer for an afflicted person who's grown weak and pours out lament before the Lord. He says, hear my prayer, Lord, let my cry for help come to you. And one more, Psalm 57, I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. There is the sense of that cry, a cry for justice. Is this cry heard today? Yes, it is heard today, not only by persecuted believers, but I want to suggest that it's heard every single Sunday at church when we pray, when we pray for uh, the injustices of the world that they be righted, when we pray for those who are unwell to be healed. We're praying to Jesus to come and fix things. Next question, what do you think the white robes represent in verse 11? And how comforting would the second part of the verse be for you? Well, the white robes, there's a big emphasis on these white robes in chapter 7. All believers wear these white robes. It is the idea of purity. And this would be a word of reassurance to the saints that they are right with God because of Jesus. And so they are being reminded of their security in Christ by being given a white robe. The second part of the verse says that they are to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Now, I don't know how comforting those would be to you. Uh, those words would be to you. There's going to be more killed. But the point is that God's in control of this. He has... He has the vision beyond death. He knows what's happening. We see only as far as death and think things end, but he sees beyond. And we need to be able to see beyond as well and beyond to a point where God is in charge and caring for us and holding us securely in that place. The next question, read verses 12 to 17. And the question is, if the mountains are removed, verse 14, how can the people of verse 15 hide among the mountains? Uh, is this literal or metaphoric? Either way, what is the point being made? Well, I just wanted to pull this out just to help us see that actually all of Revelation is apocalyptic and it is metaphoric language describing God's judgment. So the mountains can be taken away, but they can also still be there because of the, the bigger point that's coming across. Part of the situation that the message of the scroll will speak into is this reality of the coming judgment. The reality of judgment and accountability is hidden deep within every human heart. Uh, there is no discrimination. Rich people are there, and they're not only ones. Slaves are there and free are there. And it's interesting what people want to do when they're faced with judgment is hide. And doesn't this remind you of what Adam and Eve are described as doing after they sinned? They hid from the Lord in the garden. 
Uh, we are experts at hiding from our own guilt and judgment. Who has reason to fear the wrath of the Lamb? It's a strange term. Okay, I'm just going to say that again because that didn't make sense what I was just saying. The last part of verse 17, uh, six, verses 16 and 17, uh, say that they are scared of the wrath of the Lamb. Now think about that. It's a strange term, isn't it? The wrath, I would have said the wrath of the lion, but this is the wrath of the Lamb. This is a really different way of putting it, but it is here the picture of the Lamb in chapter 5 with seven eyes and seven horns. This is complete power, complete sight, omniscience and omnipotence of the one who has laid their life down. The next question, how does chapter 7 verses 1 to 3 describe all the drama preceding it being paused for a special announcement? What is the special announcement? How could, how would this be a word of comfort for believers? So just to picture here, it's pretty straightforward. There's a picture of chaos and carnage of the four horsemen and the souls crying out loud. But then there is this dramatic holding back of everything. And there is the angels that prevent the wind from blowing on the land. It's uh, restricting the four angels, that is the, the, um, the ones that have power to harm, uh, saying do not harm until there is the sealing happen. So uh, S-E-A-L-I-N-G, not C-E-I-L-I-N-G, happen. So here is a great sealing. So the, I think the point here is that in the midst of chaos, there is security for those who are in Christ. The next question, what does John hear in verses 4 to 8? What does John see in verses 9? And why are they standing when no, when everyone else couldn't stand from, verses six, from, verse, from 6 verse 17? So what does John hear? He hears a number of Jews sealed by God for salvation. What does he see? He sees a number too big to count from every tribe and nation. Why are they standing? Well, verse 14 will say that they have washed their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. That is, they're standing before the throne because they've been saved by grace. They are white-robed, cleaned from sin, from the blood of the Lamb. So this is a great uh, help for those who are in the midst of such tr uh, trauma and trial, which we continue to be at some level across the world. Remember when it this whole thing of him hearing and seeing. Remember in chapter 5, and verses 5 to 6, John hears about a conqueror, but turns and sees one who is conquered. It's two ways of saying the same reality, hearing one thing, seeing another. Here he sees 144,000, but see, sees an unnumbered mass of people. Uh, so the next question is, are these two different groups or the same group? That is the unnumbered and the 144,000. I would like to suggest that they are the same group seen from different perspective. It's the perfect people of God, 12,000 from the 12 tribes and a multitude that can't be numbered. They are all those who are in Christ. The next question, what do these robed ones cry out? And they cry out, salvation belongs to our God. Now it's worth meditating on this. That's in verse 10. Uh, who has done all the rescue work? It is Jesus. Uh, and when is it that we need to tell ourselves this? It's when we 
uh, when we condemn ourselves or when our hearts condemn us. And it's also we need to tell ourselves this when we treat others as if they've done something against us that's unforgivable. We need to remember that we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb and we need to treat we need to treat ourselves as being right with God but also others as well. Next question. John makes us take a good look at the white-robed ones. Why do you think he draws our attention to them in this way? Now, I think it is to emphasise the amazing reason we stand and the amazing privilege it is to be exalted to such a high position, not because of anything we've done, but because of his grace. Sealed is to be secure in God's plans and to be confident of our salvation. The final question, read chapter 7, verses 15 to 17. Read it slowly and out loud together, pausing at the end of each verse for a moment to ask ourselves why we need to hear these promises again. So we will say, they are, verse 15, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Pause, think about that. What are, where are we? We're before the throne. What are we doing? Serving him day and night in his temple. And what are we what what is the benefit of we're being sheltered by the one who sits on the throne and the lamb? So it's uh, think through those things, do that for the next two verses as well. Well, there we go. Uh, you asked for more detail in these podcasts, and so I'm giving it to you. That's why it's almost going to hit 18 minutes. So, uh, yep, I hope you enjoy it. hope the revelation interrogation is fun, but also helpful for going over the passage from the week before. Please just email me if you have any questions, and um, I will do my best to answer them. All right, see you later.